0: What's up mortals? This is also awesome. Mr. Monsters, here to learn you a thing or two. In this episode, I'll be telling the story. I'll be telling a story from Norse mythology. It's a story of how the god Frey met Gerd. Frey is the brother of Freya. Now I've talked about Freya before, she's the goddess of war, beauty, sex, and banging dwarves for necklaces. She's pretty much the goddess that everyone wants to smush with. Frey is equally loved, being the god of peace and prosperity good weather, sunshine, and good harvest meant that mortals and gods alike both wanted to bob this guy's knob. I mean, he's essentially the god of the perfect day, so what's not to like? Frey, like his sister Freya, is part of the tribe of gods known as the Vanir. Not to be confused with the Aesir, which Odin and Thor hail from. The Aesir and and Vanir were essentially the same, but different, so you know, hundreds of years of war. Frey was the mightiest among the Vanir, and both tribes of gods eventually found peace, which Frey was the god of, so like maybe he had something to do with it. Besides being a weird combination of awesome and delightful, Frey also had a lot of cool toys. He had a super powerful sword that could fight on its own. I don't know if you get credit for your warrior deeds if your sword does the work for you, but it's definitely a handy tool to have. He also possessed the golden boar, Golanbursti, created by the dwarves Broke and tree after Loki gave Thor's wife a haircut. It makes more sense in context. The same weird chain of events eventually led to the creation of Mjolnir, Thor's hammer. The important part is that Gulen was better than any horse around because it never grew tired since it was a magic robot boar and could run over literally anything, including water and air. The fact that it can run over air makes the fact that it can run over anything else kind of obsolete. He also had the great ship Skidbladnir, which always had favorable winds behind its sails, and although it could carry every single god at once, the cool thing about it is it could also fold up and go in Frey's pocket. So, you know, it's pretty pretty neato burrito. Frey ruled over the realm of Alfheim, Alfheim, the beautiful land of the Light Elves. He was given it as a teething present, so this dude was born with a diamond spoon in his mouth. He had a dope bachelor pad and even a faithful servant, in the elf Skirnir. But even with all this great stuff, it being super powerful and handsome and loved by all, Frey was sad. He felt like there was something missing from his life. He decided to try and find it, and he knew just where to look. Frey summoned Skirnir, and the two got in the chariot pulled by Gulen Bursti and made their way to Asgard. Upon arriving in Asgard, Frey went to Valhalla, Odin's great hall of slain warriors. There, the Einherjar, men who had died nobly, Lived and trained in preparation for Ragnarok, the end of days. Now, I have to stop here to talk about this concept of a noble death in combat. Particularly because so much Norse industry today is being used by assholes. So, just to clarify, a noble death would not include, if you say, committed treason by storming the capital in an attempt to overturn democracy because your conman candidate didn't win. That would not be a noble death. There's nothing noble about that. It's pretty much the exact opposite of noble. There's no noble way to smear your own shit around the walls of a building. Back to the story. Skurnier started a... Stater of the Obvious is like, Wow, there must be a lot of in here, Yar. Which, yeah, there are. Valhalla is massive. It has 540 doors, and each one is wide enough for 800 warriors to walk through standing side by side. So that's 432,000 warriors. And it's just the first line of people. It's bonkers how big this place is. Like, Valhalla has half of all of the slain warriors that have ever lived. And Ragnarok isn't some wildly one-sided fight because they have this giant army. Like, on one side, you do have millions upon millions of fallen warriors. But on the other side, you have a wolf so big that it can stretch its jaws from the surface of the earth to the tip of the sky. So, it's not exactly a winning proposition fighting things that can take dumps bigger than your army. Anyway, Frey and Skirnir are watching the practice battle, and eventually it ends. All the soldiers get up and their wounds magically heal as they do every day. They head inside for the nightly feast. How do you feed so many warriors? asks Skirnir. Oh, you can thank Sirumnir and his nightmarish existence for that, says Frey. He's the giant boar that they kill and eat every night, and then by morning he's just back. So he lives in this perpetual loop of being devoured and revived, devoured and revived. His entire existence just must be absolute torture. And Skirnir is like, oh my you, that's horrifying. Please change the subject. What about the mead? Sure, need a lot of mead for this many soldiers, and also to forget about how ter- that terrifying thing you just told me. And Frey answers, oh yeah, the mead is from Hyderun. She's a goat that lives on top of Valhalla, and from her udders flows the best mead. So, you know, mead is just magic goat titty milk. The pair keep exploring the enormous halls of Valhalla, and they eventually see Odin sitting at his table, surrounded by his animal companions like he's some sort of Disney princess. They watch him not eat because his dogs just do that for him, and his birds whisper things to him. Skirnir asks why they came to Valhalla in the first place, and Frey tells him that it was all just to check for Odin. The tour and explanations were for the future when one day a handsome podcaster would tell their story and need to fill up some time in an episode. Seeing that Odin is dining at Valhalla and not sitting on his throne, Frey and Skirnir scurry off to the previously established empty throne. Frey sits in the throne, known as Hritslav, which has too many consonants in a row for any human to pronounce, and gazes out upon the world. Throne just so happens to allow the sitter to view everything happening in the Nine Realms. Frey searched in all directions for the thing that he felt he was missing in his life. Eventually, he found what he he was looking for, and when he left the hall, Frey wore an expression on his face that Skirnir had never seen before. He was super depressed. Frey drove his chariot to his dad's house and locked himself in his room like some angry teenager. He stayed there without talking to anyone, or eating, or sleeping. After three days, Frey's father Father Njord, the god of the sea, sends for Skirnir. Njord asks Skirnir why Frey is so upset. He used to be so kind and wise and handsome, but now he just pouts. And since he's, you know, not a boat, Njord has no idea what to do with him. So Skirnir's got to fix it. And Skirnir's like, I don't want to go. He's super pissed. And Njord basically gives him the, you know, this is what servants are for argument. So Skirnia reluctantly goes to see his master and talk about his hissy fit. Skirnia asks Frey what's wrong, and Frey gives a lot of answers about how the world is unfair, and he's being punished, and he will never be happy again. It's a whole lot of emo energy coming off Frey. When Skirnir asks for more details, Frey eventually explains. While looking out at the world from Odin's impossible-to-pronounce chair, he saw a beautiful Jotun woman named Gerd. And she's so beautiful that he instantly fell in love because we all know that if you get a boner, that means you're in love. And he's so sad because he can never have this woman who he's never met or bothered introducing himself to. It's just way easier to lock himself in his dad's house and, and pout. Skirnir asks if there's anything he can do to help. And Frey is like, yeah, you can convince her to marry me. And Skirnir is like, Phew. well, I'm kind of upset that I asked. Because, you know, it's a really tall order. You're asking a lot here. This guy sounds like the worst servant ever. Frey tells him that he will give him anything he desires if he can convince Gerd to marry him. So Skrater's like, oh, can I see your sword? And is like, oh, this sword, my one-of-a-kind, super-powerful sword that can fight on its own and will always protect you, that is able to match any other weapon, no matter how powerful. It is so strong, it's strong enough to take on the flaming sword of Surtur himself. It's a little foreshadowing thrown in there. Skrater answers, yeah, yeah, it's fine, I guess. Like, but it's my price for going to get Gerd. Frey agrees, and Skirner takes off at once. Skirner goes to Gerd to tell her about his master, like how he became obsessed with her after spying on her from a magic chair, and now he won't eat or sleep until she agrees to marry him without ever having met him before. Good thing Frey is rich and handsome, otherwise behavior might come across as stalkerish and creepy, because that's how we decide if something is romantic or gross in our society, by how good-looking the person doing it is. After being told of the beauty, power, and wisdom of Frey, Gerd decides to marry this dude she never met. Now, I ain't saying she's a gold digger, but yes, that's definitely exactly what I'm saying. Skurnier returns to Frey to tell him that Gerd will marry him in nine days. Frey goes on this long, dramatic rant about a single day is an eternity, and two days is two eternities, and so on and so forth, and how is he supposed to wait for nine? Skurnier's like, mm, well, you've never even met before, so like this is a little much. Please just give me the sword so I can leave. Nine days pass and Frey goes to meet Gerd for the first time The two get married. She is everything he imagined. Just as beautiful and sweet. She fills the hole in his life. Or maybe the hole in his butt. I may, Are they into pegging? I don't know. The translation's a little murky. There's definitely some holes being filled. Probably the one in his butt. Turns out all Frey was missing in his life was some prostate action. Frey never replaces a sword. He's super strong. He can kill giants no problem. Why would he bother? He fights the giant belly. And he kills him with just a stag's antler. But here's where the foreshadowing from before comes in. When Ragnarok comes, which is already predetermined and they know what's going to happen, Frey is destined to fight Surtur. Which maybe would go well for him if he still had his awesome sword that he literally said could match Surtur's flaming sword. But instead, he just has a deer antler, which is essentially one step above a stick. You can't kill Surtur with a stick. He was there when the Nine Realms were created, just sitting and watching like a creep, though if he was handsome, maybe it would have been romantic. So anyway, Frey dies, and his legacy is carried down through his son Fjolnir, who drowned in a vat of mead while he was drunkenly searching for a place to piss. So you know, a proud lineage indeed. Probably should have just kept his sword and learned how to shove things up his own butt. So that's it for the episode. If you enjoyed, you know, come back for more. There's an episode about Frey's sister Freya and the aforementioned dwarves that she boned, and also how an impromptu, non-consensual haircut led to Frey's cool stuff as well as Mjolnir. I did an episode about that too.